Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. We're joined today by Chris Noble, Managing Director at Storeforce. Hi, Chris. Hi there, Simon. How are you? Very good, thank you. Very good. Yourself? Good. Yeah, all good. Thanks. Looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, no, it'll be a good one today, I'm sure. I'm sure. So for those people that don't know you, Chris, it'd be good to give a bit of personal background first and then we'll find out a bit more about Storeforce. Sure. Yeah. So I... um... I started in retail when I was 19, so that would have been, I think, 1999, thereabouts. Um, And I I didn't connect this until about 10 years later, but it's very interesting to see people's journeys into retail. It's one of these industries that is one of the largest employers in the world, and you can't really go to school to become a retailer, right? People kind of fall into the industry. They find themselves working in a store. They enjoy it. They enjoy the buzz how dynamic the industry is and, and, and you kind of stay and the really talented people kind of make their way up through store management, area management, into head office, into various roles. Uh, looking back at my start in retail, it only occurred to me probably about 10 years after getting into the industry that my, my parents were both retailers. So I grew up in stores. They, they were managing three retail stores when I was uh, a kid. So I kind of was very familiar with all of the nuances and the challenges that come with retail, the long hours all of the challenges that they faced with employees, with open hours, with being called out at all hours. So uh, it's kind of been in my blood since I was a kid, I would say. Uh, And in 1999, I started with a technology company that was trying to solve some of the many challenges that retail had, helped build that business up. And then in 2010, started Storeforce with uh, my colleagues in North America. Falling into retail, that's how I describe it. Yeah, nobody... Nobody sits down with a career advisor at college or school and goes, I want to work in a shop. Right. I, think, I think there's quite a bad impression of that or it's not seemed to be pushing yourself. You know, we, If you look at it, actually, we're a nation of shopkeepers and I think that, that's a great thing. There's some amazing stuff that happens there. Uh, yeah, but like you, I fell into it. I, ne- I never planned it. Started working in DIY on a till on a, on a Saturday, Sunday. Did all right. Got on the management training program, progressed up. College, it was about uni and that stuff. Nobody said... I'm going to work in a shop. Yeah, and and once you start in it, you you realise you kind of enjoy it. It's it's you know, if you're the kind of person that prefers working in an environment with people that changes all the time, it's not an office environment that's kind of very similar each day. It's a it's an interesting, fun environment to work in, and you you either love it or hate it. And the people that love it stay and and do very well. But what's interesting about it, and this is what's interesting about the role of technology, is the people that have historically done well have have done well through their intuition and their instincts on how to operate their store. And, and largely for, for a long time, stores were kind of run on the intuition of their their leaders. And, and I think the role of technology has evolved in the time I've been working in retail to provide store managers, store staff with tools that help them do the stuff that computers are just very good at automatically and giving them more time to focus on delivering the things that are really important for the brand, which is a you know, consistently brilliant customer experience. And that, that's really what, what my focus is about. And in fact, what everybody at Storeforce is passionate about. So everyone in our business comes from retail. Uh, they've all had very varied and interesting backgrounds in specialty retail. And, and that's, our, that's our niche. That's the market in which we work in. So you know, some of our customers are people like uh, Doc Martins, Estee Lauder, Tommy Hilfiger, Calvin Klein, uh, anyone where there's a medium to high level of service is really our kind of central target market. And you help them with staff scheduling and all the surrounding bits that make that employee ecosystem? Exactly, yeah. The, the, the biggest variable in any, in any retailer's customer experience is the interaction with the staff. 
And what retailers want is a consistently great customer experience, right? They, the consumers can shop now on any channels, mobile, e-commerce, in-store, click and collect. You can, you can uh, convenience is the name of the game, but the experience in the store is when your customer experiences your brand personality. And the key with getting that executed well, the, the key with having customers have a brilliant experience is your staff. It's the personality that they bring. And so there's a lot to workforce management. It's not just about getting the, the schedule right mapped to traffic. You know, that's the very basics of it. It's about how you use the data that you have. And, and retailers are not short of data. They are absolutely swimming in data now. Um, it's how you use that data to uh, improve the quality of the conversations that a, a sales floor manager or a store manager will have with their team, train them to coach them to deliver the experience that the brand is expecting. And if, if you provide insights to the store teams at the right times with relevant data, that you, they're able to have those conversations in the moment to drive effective change in every interaction they have with their customers. And doing that well uh, leads to huge improvements in in-store performance. And that's what we're passionate about. We're, we do workforce management to help brick and mortar retail thrive. And you know, there's been a lot of talk in the press about the retail apocalypse over the last 10 years. And you know, th there are trends that have uh, been accelerated by COVID, but retail isn't going to go away. It's, it's part of our DNA. It's what we love doing as people. We love going to shops and buying things. It's it's uh, it's something that, that that feels good that people enjoy, uh, and that's going to continue. The question is, which are the retailers that are going to thrive and survive, uh, or which are the retailers that are going to thrive through this period? And it's the ones that invest in technology. It's the ones that invest in tools that give their stores the ability to manage effectively. So that that's what we're passionate about: is driving the performance in the store and helping the store managers understand their teams so they can coach and improve the customer experience. Excellent. So let's let's talk about then the state of retail. There's been some trends, I think, that COVID has accelerated and back to the I suppose the earlier point around running shops and, and being a retailer. I'm I think running a shop is relatively simple, having done it, and that's not it probably sounds a bit self serving, but I didn't find it difficult because actually when you start to boil it down to its component parts, do you treat your people well and have you recruited the right people? And if you haven't, how do you deal with the ones that aren't performing? Because I think that's a, a big challenge in, in retail is dealing with poor performers in a, at a store level. Have you got the right inventory counts? Have you got stock on the shelves? And actually, have you got the right people in the right place? Yeah, for me, it's relatively simple. And I'm always surprised how spectacularly wrong people get running a shop because there's a load of stuff you can't influence. So as a store manager... I can't particularly, in my, in my world, I couldn't particularly influence the type of stock I sold. So it's ranged and it was sent in. I could influence how much to a degree if it wasn't allocated. I couldn't particularly influence price or promotion. That was a given and you were told where to put it. So when you start to think about the things you can influence, it's mainly around your people, the presentation of the store. The rest is a, a given in terms of promotional planning, all that kind of stuff that I think lots of people spend in stores a lot of time challenging and energy on when the reality is if the company's made a decision that I don't know let's use a DIY example Santex masonry paints on promotion and it's the first end you should see that it walks in the store and it was 20.99 it's now 15.99 
you've just got to do that. So actually getting that done helps you focus on the stuff you can influence. I don't know what you see when you go in shops and certainly now in the new world, but I'm always surprised that more people seem to get it wrong than right at a local store level, that is. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Re- retail at its heart is a very simple business. The you know the, the the four P's are still very relevant, although place is probably less relevant than it than it once was, given that people have so much more choice about where they shop. So you know the the, the product and the price are always going to be the most important aspects of a retailer's offering. But the in-store experience now is more important than ever. You know the, the days of people going to a, a mall or walking down the high street and popping into every shop and trying everything out are gone. You know, that used to be a pastime. People now go to stores with an intention, much more so now, obviously, in, in the COVID times. But in general, that was the trend anyway. People are going to the store to uh, experience the brand, to have an experience. And, and you see this, you know, the, the bookshops did it very early on with putting coffee shops in the bookshops. They were all trying various things to get engagement and get the experience improved in the stores. So the retailers that that we work with, uh, which are specialty retailers, are all focused on that experience. And the thing that you can control when you're managing or working in a store is the interaction that you have with the customers. And the two KPIs that are the ones that the store own uh, are conversion and UPT. Right? You can uh, influence who is converted through a whole number of things. You know, Being greeted within the, the first 30 seconds is a key to conversion. If people don't feel welcome, they're, they're likely to spend a lot less time in the store, which means you're, lo- which means you're less likely to convert them. Uh, and if you're not asking great questions and influencing the conversation, um, then you're going to have a lower UPT. So, you know, finding out what people are looking for, offering suggestions, providing other items, all of those things are the, the ways to drive the basket size. So those are the two KPIs to look at how you're performing in the store uh, with each c- interaction. And the really interesting thing, and, and I, I often ask new customers this when when we get their data for the first time, is how important do you think your salespeople are in the equation and you get some really interesting answers Uh, occasionally you get someone saying well i think a great salesperson would probably sell 60 70 percent more than someone who's new but the average would be you know maybe 20 percent difference and actually when we show retailers their own data for the first time and they start to see wow there are some people in our store who are just superstars who are brilliant it's it's often the first time they've seen that and i think that's kind of a bit of an eye-opener for many retailers to see just how influential some people are in the store in driving conversion in UPT. And of course, the question that then begs is, how do we emulate those behaviors and, and train the rest of our teams to be as brilliant as those superstars that we have? And that's the goal, right? If you think about what retailers are wanting when a customer walks into the store, they want them to have a great time every single time. And if sometimes they're not, look into why. And, and often it will be around things like, you know, if, if, if stores are being asked to do a lot of tasks and their eye is gone from the customer for a few minutes, there will be customers entering that, that won't get greeted. Well, what happens to conversion at those times? You can see it uh, in real time these days. So you can see the influence that your, that your staff have. So providing data in a really simple, easy to understand way that lets everybody in the store know what the goal is in terms of the customer experience and how you're measuring that, that's how you can... Uh, start to manage the the conversations with staff that are going to improve the skills to drive conversion and UPT. So, you know, price and product definitely still the most important, but you can still fail in that, you know, 70% of it's probably price promotion place. 30% of it is the customer experience. But if you get that customer experience piece wrong, 
uh, you spent an awful lot of time and money getting those customers into the store. Uh, falling at the last hurdle is 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 really a crying shame at that point, and it's something that you can control and you can manage with the right data given to the right people at the right time. And have you seen any particular trends that COVID have accelerated across your client base or people you know in the industry? If you look at retail as a whole, you know I think the days of seeing retailers in the UK that have 700 stores uh, are are gone. I think people those, those kind of big retailers who have been focused on price rather than service are right-sizing their estates. And we're seeing this across the world, actually. So in North America in particular, there's a, a big movement. I saw an article the other day that 25% of the malls will be closed in North America in the next 10 years. So retailers are right-sizing their estates if they're large enough to have that that kind of over-subscription or um, very high density of stores. Uh, so you'll see that. And we've seen retailers in the UK doing the same thing, announcing store closures. Um, you know, you can, I mean, this is a, a number that's 10 years old, but you can service 80% of the UK population uh, with less than 80 stores. I think for 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 the very large retailers, you know, if you think of people like Clark Shoes that had a, a store in every single town, you're likely to see retailers like that uh, reduce their footprint. Uh, and we're seeing that already, although obviously, if they're tied into leases, that will be somewhat of a longer process. And you, you'll probably see some more retailers going into CVA to, to perhaps exit some of those leases. Uh, so that's one of the trends that I think is being accelerated by COVID. Uh, the other trend, of course, is new entrants to the market who think about retail differently. Right? It, it's it's fascinating. Uh, we work with a few uh, now, and we've we're seeing that the the way they think about retail is is really fascinating, and we're trying to um, bring some of that learning and knowledge to our traditional brick and mortar retailers but in a digitally native retailer they they've kind of connected the e-com and store channels they they don't see them as separate channels they don't compete and in traditional brick and mortar like if you go into almost any traditional brick and mortar retail store and ask them how their online business is doing the people on the shop floor the store managers often won't know uh, they're not given insights to that uh, and actually there's a symbiotic relationship between the two Right. If if you if a digitally native retailer opens a store in a new location, uh, it drives their online business by between thirty and seventy percent. Uh, the same is true of traditional brick and mortar retailers. If 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 you open up in a new territory, your online business will go up by a, a similar amount. So they influence each other. Customers in that new area feel confident to be able to return things to store to go in and talk to people if they want to. But in brick and mortar, it's still seen as a sometimes as a threat it's still seen as as the competition and digitally native retailers understand that actually the the store is there to deliver a great experience and they don't really mind if the customer chooses to shop online after a store visit or in the store at the time and traditional brick and mortar retailers in the store they're never going they're very rarely going to encourage you to go and shop online because they don't have the KPIs and the, the tools in place to recognize the store's contribution to that online sale so there are some I think some some trends that we're seeing around retailers that have invested in technology, that have invested in their e-com channels and got all of the the, the kind of the back-end IT pieces of, of the integration right, we're seeing those retailers thrive. And if you look at people like uh, Doc Martins, who've been investing heavily in technology and stores and their e-com channels, you know, their results of, of late have been fantastic. And I think that's one of the key trends is that we see retailers that are investing and continuing to try and be at the forefront of uh, what's available for uh, retail are thriving. And those that have kind of got the traditional model of stack it high, sell it cheap are struggling. 
And you know that that that's often the case at times like this. Is you see when there's a, a big shift in the market, you're seeing the retailers that have invested having the best results. You know, there, there's been some other trends. If you look at just traffic patterns and things like that, like it's fascinating to see what's happened. Uh, and it's across virtually all of our customers when we did our analysis. Uh, weekend traffic is down. Midweek traffic is is uh, significantly up. The, the weekends are still the busiest, but less so versus last year. And, and there'll be a whole load of reasons for that. Um, you know, people working from home and able to go shopping in the week more easily. Perhaps uh, customers wanting to try and go to the stores at quiet times, so they're either not queuing or not uh, exposing themselves to, to a huge amount of people. But those kind of trends, whilst they're temporary, they are trends that you need to adapt to very quickly. If you're asking the store staff to all interpret that data themselves and to make decisions based on what they're seeing from their traffic count data or from sales versus last year, they're going to spend a lot of time uh, doing work that a, a computer system can do far more efficiently. Yeah. What are the trends that you've seen that, that interest you since, since COVID? I think there's been a real shift and we've talked about it on a few podcasts of people getting stuff done. They've managed to, you know, spin up websites or home delivery or collections or partnerships with Just Eat, Deliveroo, whatever it might be to to service the client base in a different way, the customer base in a different way. And for me, I find that really interesting that things that have been on people's agendas for years and years have been in the too difficult, too expensive, can't get it signed off can't get the budget has just happened and again uh, we've talked about it on a couple of podcasts it's like agile development if you take that approach that tech approach of sprints agile methodology into retail you've got to be prepared to fail on some things and you've got to be prepared that not everything's going to land right first time but i think actually the the competitive edge it gives you the flexibility it gives you forward thinking way the company evolves into not a blame culture into a getting stuff done quickly getting the stuff out of the way that doesn't work or didn't work and focusing on the stuff that does I think is a great way of working I think it's a challenging way of working and a very different way of working than lots are used to you know retail is your typical waterfall of we'll get a project we'll work out the ROI we'll speak to some software suppliers software we'll then have to go to the board and get the budget and x y and z so it's it's still very waterfall. The agile way has different challenges, as, as all methodologies do, but gets you to the place of understanding if it works a hell of a lot quicker. And, and I've worked in retail like you. I, I've worked in retailers where they've probably burnt millions discussing it around the table in head office and proofs of concept, desktop pilots, and, and all the good stuff. The real learning only ever comes when you get it in a store and people go, yeah, well, that's all great, but you didn't think about any of this stuff. Right. Uh, so, so, for, so for me, that's a real positive. That's the biggest trend I've seen is people just being able to get stuff done a lot quicker. Our kind of go-to-market strategy from day one was that this needs to be a very quick deployment. So our deployments range, you know, typically from eight to 12 weeks. And when we go and talk to retailers who are or have been looking in the marketplace for a workforce management tool, they often say to us, well, how do you do that so quickly? Because we often, we've been told it's 12 to 18 months and that, that's always been amazing to us that it, you can kind of take a make a project 18 months long because by the time you've deployed a solution that you've chosen 18 months later, your needs will have changed. So so being dynamic and being able to do things quickly has always been at the heart of what we do. Uh, I think the quickest we've deployed is three to four weeks. We're a little bit too busy to be 
that dynamic right now, but we're still hitting the eight to twelve week mark from you know the point of decision to to go live, and and that's really crucial. And I think what to to your point, what we've seen is retailers kind of understand the importance of that through through this stage, and and you've touched on some of the things you know the the delivery, the curbside pickups, um, uh, all of those reactions have been great to see. You know, Lush were very early. One of our clients were very early to. Uh, you know, open their stores up for hand washing uh, early on, which was you know a great public service and a great way to get customers into the store who may not have been into a lush store before. So it's 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 exciting to see things be more dynamic, and and I do like you hope that 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 remains past this. But I think the you know the, if you look at the trend over the last twenty years of econ percentages for ver- for various businesses. You know, at, at the start of this, people were very, you know, I think the target was, you know, 40, 50% of revenue they'd like to see on e-com. There's very few retailers that have achieved that. But I think over the next two to three years, we're probably going to see many at that level. The the acceleration of all of the technologies and integrations between the store and e-com channels are going to be accelerated over the next few years to help facilitate that and to kind of connect everything. So it feels very connected from a from a customer perspective, and it's, it's one of the things. As a you know, there are a few stores that I shop at, um, and and you can tell when they've not got the integration right. So if I do a click and collect order, you know, I, I'm typically going out of the office at lunchtime to go and pick that up, and you can tell if you're going to a retailer that hasn't got that right when you walk into a store and you say, "Hi, I'm here to pick up a click and collect item," and they kind of there's a little deflation. They sigh and they're like, oh, "Okay, let me go and <laughs> let me go and get that for you," because it's their busy time, right? They're busy at lunchtime. And if you get that reaction from a store staff, number one, it's not great for me. I feel like I've just interrupted their day and I feel bad for coming in and and uh, picking up my product at a time, which is clearly inconvenient for them. But the reason they'll be having that, that reaction is they're probably not getting the credit on their KPIs for that sale. They're not being given recognition for the contribution that they're making, which is serving me. And, you know, I'll often go into the changing room and try things on and that it, that often will get a, a second sigh and, oh, dear, well, okay. And at the end of the day, they know they're not getting recognized for, for any of this data. And, and that, that those are the simple things that if you get wrong, the customers pick up on and it frustrates stores. Uh, and the digitally native retailers solve all that from the start because the store do get recognized for not just click and collect sales, but sales that happen online within the store's geographic area, even if the customer's never been into the store. So their 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 goal is to build the business on on, on all channels, how do we get our customer, our brick and mortar customers buying more online? And how do we get our online customers buying in store? And this is one of the things I think we'll start to see lots more of. Uh, and events is one of the ways that retailers are looking to uh, drive more traffic into the store. So, you know, makeup brands will often have influencers coming into the store to do to do showcases uh, that will drive online, online only customers into your brick and mortar stores. You know, people like DMs, do uh, gigs in store again that will drive customers that may not have been to a store into your brick and mortar store but from a store's perspective how do you quantify how successful you're being well right now many brick and mortar retailers just look at their in terms of the store staff they just see their sales in store but if i'm a makeup brand that's had an influencer into the store uh, sure i'm going to have a bump in sales the the evening or the day that that influencer is in the store but there's also going to be a bump on sales online when when those customers that were in the store but didn't buy go and shop online. And our view is you should report that data to the store so they're passionate about about not caring where you buy, just that you've had a great experience and you've chosen to buy with the brand. So those kind of changes, I think, are going to start to accelerate in the next few years as well. Yeah, no, I agree. If you can if you can target people outside of the the bricks and mortar and make them think about the company, 
because at the end of the day, if I retail a why and people are spending in the store brilliant, actually, if we're not engaging the teams to say, oh, yeah, but actually, I see you've bought this and most people bought X, Y, and Z. We don't actually stock that. We can get it delivered to your house in two or three days, whatever it is. The company benefits and then clearly you benefit. And in a a world we're going to live in for the next 12, 18 months where I think like you talked about, there'll be lots of CVAs, there'll be lots of worse things for retailers. You know, we've seen some go already. There'll be, there will be more to go. It's going to be a fact. Unemployment will rise, unfortunately. Why wouldn't you be doing everything at a total level to get that money in the till, whether it's a virtual till or not? And I think your point about kind of picking up your deliveries, that for me is a classic example where a company thinks they're omni-channel, but they're still multi-channel and potentially siloed. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we do lots of work with retailers and, and some more at the moment around that click and collect journey. And it, it comes back to when we do the measurement and come back with the kind of anecdotals, it always comes back to two things. One, when you set up your retrieval system, it was probably, you know, a spare fitting room if it's fashion or a little cupboard or a locker you put in the warehouse. So your walk time is immense. So, we, you know, we've timed retrievals at five, six minutes per, per customer which is a long time to stand the weight of the till. Absolutely. Um, and then when you get there, the way you've stored it, dependent on your product mix. So if, if you're one of those multi-product retailers that does something that's in a, you know, I use DIY again as an example. So if you go from screws and nails to tins of paint to garden tables, that's a real challenge, how you store that in a way that the colleague can walk in and go, it's hard, order for Hedo, that'll be under H in the rack. Or actually, if it's an oversized item, I know on the order because it's got an asterisk next to it, it'll be in the oversized goods bay. The, again, the amount of time we see people then when they get to wherever the retrieval system is, trying to find the parcel or the you know packet or whatever it is, box, it is immense. And it's it's because I think people have put it in. Yeah, we've got a retrieval bay. Yeah, we've got collection. Fine. The volume's grown and has then grown exponentially. And they've never gone back and said, is there a better way of moving some stuff so it's behind the checkouts of, you know, people have trial collection lockers. It's starting to become a bigger thing, especially in the pharmacy world. There's almost a second, even third generation, I think, that will happen relatively quickly of people sacrificing store space to make it easier to collect the online stuff. The, the, the fascinating thing with the way we analyze data and present data to our customers, and, and just to take the example you, you've just given of, you know, it being four or five minutes to go and collect an item, what you'll see in the store is you'll see some employees, some some sales assistants who will understand that that's a, a flaw in the system and feel bad about it from the customer's perspective. And the key is that they have empathy for the customer and they understand what the business objectives are. So what you will see in store is you'll see some employees saying to the, the customer, this is going to take me four or five minutes. Is there anything else, else you need while you're here? Let me take you there so you can have a look at that and I'll come and find you. And what you'll find when employees like that who are dynamic, who intuitively understand that they can use the customer's time better to not only give them a better experience, but also upsell at the same time, you'll see conversion and UPT rise when those people are working. So you have these systematic challenges that are there and you know where things are stacked and where things are packed um, for, for, for retrieval is something that the store just has to deal with unless it's solved by head office. But there are behaviors that the store will exhibit or certain employees in the store will exhibit that will drive performance. And if you highlight what happens when those people are working and show the store managers 
the performance of those individuals, they'll identify those trends and then go, right, I've now got a plan. Let's train everybody to do that same thing that this associate was just doing. So there's behavioral things that you will that you will see throughout the day and, and by, by employee that will kind of give you insights and areas for which you can go and, and, and focus to drive improvements, even when there are challenges. And, and that's the behavioral piece that we're really excited and passionate about helping retailers influence. It's classic and you learn it quite quickly in, in stores that once it gets to a store level, people become creative in finding ways around the problem. Exactly. They take they take time to fix. Yeah, it's a great example of keeping the advocacy, you know, keeping the customer engaged in the I'm doing my best for you actually. I don't want yeah. you to stand here and twiddle your thumbs. There's an opportunity to go and have a look at our new range, new season, whatever it might be. Correct. So so with that in mind then, the work the role of the workforce are going to be really, really critical in terms of uh, as I said before, I think that the unemployment market is going to be really tough. Uh, so, so jobs in retail are going to be precious. So how do you think people are going to retain top talent? The, the market might do some of that, as in there's less jobs for people to go to. But if I'm, again, retailer X, how would I or would you think people are starting to think about retaining the top talent and driving that kind of brand ambassador's way of thinking and working? I think we're already seeing actually through what customers are asking for and looking for in the market in terms of tools that they are understanding that retaining top talent is more important now than ever. Our, our USP is the, the the sales uplift that our customers see when they start using the tool. And that's obviously important. But what we're hearing more in the marketplace now is we want tools that are going to engage our employees better, that are going to make them feel part of the brand and make us be able to communicate with them and you know, learning and development tools, task management tools, um, all of those kind of softer tools that don't have a direct sales improvement are the things that retailers are looking for now. And I think they're looking for that because they are looking to engage their staff better. So we're already seeing and hearing that retailers are focusing much more on that employee engagement piece. Um, and I think ultimately, this is a good thing for both retailers and for people working in retail. Uh, you know, five or 10 years from now, I think the high street will look uh, slightly different. The retailers that will, that will be on our high streets and in our malls then are going to be stronger and better. Uh, they're going to have solved all of the technical challenges that that many are struggling with now, uh, and their staff are going to well, they're going to be they're going to be retaining their top staff. You know, if if you if you look at our customer base, they are you know high service retailers and. You know, for people like Hackett or Suit Supply or Doc Martens or Lush, when you walk into one of their stores, their, their staff are all really passionate about their brand. And if you go into other retailers who are kind of commodity or, or price focused, the, the, there's a different energy in the store. Uh, you know, for, for, for them, it, it, it's, it, you know, you're probably hiring people closer to minimum wage. You're not maybe not investing in them in the ways that that um, specialty retailers might, those are the retailers that are going to struggle because the customer expectation now is that when they walk into the store, they have a consistently good experience. You know, people don't remember a good technological experience, but they do remember a good human interaction. And what I want when I walk into a store is to have a great time and to meet people who are passionate and knowledgeable about the product that I'm, I'm looking at. Uh, who will make me feel welcome, who are attentive, who are looking for buying signals, who are there when I need them. That is something that's rarer than you would think, I would say, in retail. You know, you can go into the same store five different times in a week and get a vastly different experience on each time still to this day. Uh, and the way you solve that problem is through 
having great staff, retaining them, training them really well. Uh, you know, the cost of replacing staff, if you have a high staff turnover, is huge, not only in recruitment and training costs, but in lost sales because they're not delivering the experience that you want. So I predict, and, and you know, I think a few years from now, we will see higher wages for people in, in particularly in specialty retail. I think you'll see people uh, staying longer, climbing up through the ranks, uh, being rewarded and recognized for their contribution. Because, and, and whilst there will be fewer stores, so fewer retail jobs, those jobs will be better paid. Much more of a focus on retention. I think it's going to be a buyer's market yeah. um, is the reality. And yeah, we'll end up with higher paid people, but just less of them, which will be a really interesting challenge, I think, for some retailers, because I think they completely potentially have to overhaul their recruitment and selection program in the in parallel with that. There's that whole thing about, you know, you, re- you recruit for the, the softer skills because you can always train people how to do a process. If you recruit people for the process part, then you tend to struggle with the brand ambassador skills, the living and breathing, the purpose of the business, because that's just not in them. So it'd be interesting to see how all that moves. Yeah, and there's some interesting, interesting things happening. You know, the gig economy is is you know there's there's a lot of talk about the the gig economy and and flexible working and uh, you know there are organisations. I think you you had a podcast with Millie, that's right, from Caterpillar, and and their model is really fascinating, which is you know brilliantly trained staff who, who you can pull in on short notice into your team to to bolster your salesforce at a key time when you're very very busy you know things like that are really interesting you know we've talked to millie and and we would love to get you know their employees available for our customers to pull into their schedules when they need them and i think what we're likely to see is uh, fewer headcount in each store so you you may well have a core of full-time or nearly full-time employees who are paid very well who have you know flexible working conditions, and then retailers flexing up with with services like that, perhaps you know that that certainly that there's some interesting trends happening around things like that. But I think at the heart of it, if you're a if you're a, if you're a retailer that's focusing on service, investing in your teams, investing in your staff, identifying people who are exhibiting great customer service behaviours that are driving performance, and making sure you're retaining them is going to be important. And and retailers, if they don't have this data available to them they're doing that on intuition and the first thing we tell store managers when we launch our product with them and and, and show them storeforce for the first time is be open-minded there are some things that you'll see which will validate your assumptions uh, but there'll be many things you'll see that will challenge them so things that you thought oh well this person wasn't very good at x well if the data says different be open-minded about that and then go and look at that through different eyes humans are very good at um, spotting patterns, but we're also uh, have our own biases, and data really doesn't doesn't lie. When you look at data over a, a quite a long period of time, it can point you in 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 some quite interesting directions, and that's really at, at the heart of what we do. We, we we don't think store managers should be spending a huge amount of time in the back office analysing trends and looking at data. We should be presenting data to them that prompts them to make great decisions right now, and. The, 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 the heart of what we do is, is giving insights to the stores and to the field managers and executives and so on so they can have great quality conversations. But it's, a, it, it's really about doing all of the things systems and computers can do very efficiently and very quickly and taking that burden away from the store managers so they can make better decisions. And if you're, if you're doing that, if you're focusing on improving those skills of your team, 
your customers are going to recognize and and, uh, and feel that when they shop with you because you're focusing then on the things that are going to improve their experience rather than you know the things that can be better automated or, or done by a system amazing so it kind of in summary i think what we both agree on and tell me if i get it wrong is tech tech plays a pivotal part it's really important the data helps make the decisions but actually it's going to be moving forward people that make the, the biggest difference in terms of the data that's given to them to help them improve to help performance improve to think about sales outside of the bricks and mortar that they're, they're going to be you know the key differentiator for for a retailer in the new world yeah exactly F- focus on what you can control and that's the that's the customer experience that's your team that's building a great team giving a great experience to every customer that walks in the store be very highly tuned to the KPIs that give you that th- those insights it, it made me think of if a retailer would be brave enough to use kind of the money ball approach. So I don't know if you've seen the film, but it it's based on a, the real it's the life. baseball film, right? Yeah, absolutely. With Brad Pitt. So yes. it, it's big in sport. Liverpool use it now. Brentford are really big on it. And they make all their acquisitions, the signings through data. Yeah. So again, it takes out the bias of, well, you know, he's, he's 35, he's washed up, he's, left back who's you know not been brilliant but actually when you look at the stats he might have you know the best blocking across into the box rate the best delivery from conversions or assist from set pieces so it'd be interesting to see if that becomes more prevalent in terms of you know money ball in business of data data make some of the decisions because it just takes the emotion out it's a bit could be a bit blunt i suspect at times but yeah be interested if people make more of a jump into that world yeah, ex- ex- exactly, and I think you know it, that's that's kind of what we do in many ways is 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 look at the the KPIs and the numbers, and you know it, it's an interesting analogy because baseball, you know, there was a great resistance to that approach in baseball, wasn't there? There was a yeah. you know everyone was saying this is a game that is requires skill and it's an art form and uh, and it's nuanced and and people are so important in it, and and actually that that approach proved that data can add a, a whole new dimension to it that humans weren't bad at weren't very good at spotting and the same is true in retail the industry you know if you look at it compared to almost any other industry has kind of been lagging in adoption of technology certainly in brick and mortar ecom you know if you go to anybody's ecom site they know when you came where you came from how long you stayed what you clicked on the entire journey in brick and mortar that's not understood in, in in the same way at all and the expectation is that well store managers are great at understanding intuitively their customers in their area and so we're going to leave it to them to decide and actually when you give them data in a in a, a in a very simple and intuitive way it, it doesn't take anything away from their intuition it enables their intuition to go and spend the time on improving the customer experience through coaching their staff and that's the thing that makes the difference at, at the end of the day. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting analogy. And I think there's some common themes between baseball and retail. There's probably still an assumption out there with many, many retailers that, that, that having data is going to take something away. And in fact, I think the, the reverse is. Brilliant. Listen, it's been a great chat, this one. Really enjoyed it. So final question from me is what's the best bit of business advice you've ever been given? I think the best bit of business advice I've been given is to listen and learn to others listening to other people learning from people who have more experience than you who have insights and just be a sponge absorb everything brilliant love that one it's been a pleasure (laughs) it's been a pleasure chris thank you simon great to talk take care cheers cheers bye